Well, it really is good to see you all here this morning. I didn't know what kind of a crowd we'd have on a morning like this, but I'm so glad that you are here as we begin this series, Room for Doubt. Now, this young man that we saw in the video here is, is very, I think, emblematic of, of the direction our culture is going. As a millennial, he represents a group that is now identifying themselves as the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And it's this new understanding of not affiliating with any kind of religious belief. You know, on any kind of an application form, you know, say, are you, know, are you, are you Christian, this, that, or the other, and at the bottom it says none. Well, that's where the name comes from. Now, it doesn't mean that they aren't spiritual, and it certainly doesn't mean that they aren't interested in seeking God. It's just that they struggle with the doubts and the concepts, like, like God, faith, religion, and who's right if indeed anybody is right. And so they're not affiliating with any group, the nuns. In a period of 25 years, from 1990 to 2015, this group grew from 8% in the U.S. population to 23% of the U.S. population. But among millennials, during that same period of time, the number grew from 11% to 36%. More than a third of the millennials in our country say they're not affiliated with any particular religious theme. Sometimes people feel guilty about their doubts and, and as a result, fear being shunned by the people that they love. And sometimes the churches create an atmosphere that tends to suffocate the tough questions and denounce those who doubt. What the nuns need, what all of us need, is a safe place to express our thoughts and feelings. What we need are others who will help us seek answers to our questions and walk with us through our doubts. And that's why I'm convinced that what we're going to study over these six weeks is, is really vital to the life of the church because not only do the nuns have questions and doubts. I suspect there are more questions and doubts in this room than you would possibly dare to believe. Now, if you think over the next six weeks we're going to be able to answer all your questions, you will be severely disappointed. But I can promise you that we will do our best to seek honest answers for honest doubts. 17th century theologian Blaise Pascal said, to deny, to believe... And to doubt absolutely, this is for a man what running is for a horse. All of us go through these periods. Whether you're a believer, an unbeliever, or you're stuck in that land of foggy doubts and vague questions, you're not alone. And what's more, I'm really glad you're here. I want this to be a safe place. I'm hoping that you can say to anybody, I'm not sure I can believe that. And the answer you'd get would be, I understand. Let's, all, let's work on that together. So I think the best place to begin this series is to explore the concept of doubt. You know, when we throw around words, I think it's important that we're all on the same page. I don't want to draw assumptions about what you think it means. I don't want you to draw assumptions about what you think I mean when I use the word doubt. So let's just all get on the same page this morning. This is the way we're going to take a look at the series from the start. First of all, what is doubt? That's the first question I want us to take a look at. What is doubt? 
Well, there are, there are probably a lot of misconceptions, but three of the main misconceptions about what doubt is, uh, is what I want to take a look at. The first one is simply this. Here's the first misconception. Doubt is the opposite of faith. That is not true. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. And that's an important distinction for us to understand. Generally speaking, in the Bible, unbelief is a willful refusal to believe, a deliberate decision to disobey God. That's unbelief. But that's not what doubt is. Doubt is indecisiveness or sometimes ambivalence over an issue. It's finding yourself stuck between certainty and uncertainty. It means you've got questions about your faith, that you've got doubts about the whole issue. So doubt is not the opposite of belief. Unbelief is. As a matter of fact, you can have a strong faith and still have unsettling questions or theological concerns. I'm not asked for a show of hands, but if you're like me, I, I believe I have a strong faith, but I've still got some unsettling questions I don't have answers for. Can I be a Christian without having all the answers? Absolutely. I'm in a world of hurt, and you are too, if we can't. Some would go so far as to say that struggling with God over the issues of this life shows a lack of faith. But I would suggest that is faith. Walking by faith doesn't mean everything is going to be hunky-dory. It means you're going to be dealing with tough times, and you wrestle with God through these tough times. If you don't think some of the people in the Bible had struggles, you go back and read the Psalms that David wrote. Boy, I'm telling you, some of those are really hard to get through. And David expresses some pretty harsh things to God in the Psalms, and I'm so grateful that those are there because it gives me encouragement. If the man after God's own heart struggled with some pretty difficult issues, then we're in good territory when we do. Here's another misconception. Doubt is unforgivable. God doesn't condemn us when we question him. Now, let me tell you something. When you grow up with the name of Thomas, the word doubting is not far behind. Oh, doubting Thomas. Are you a doubting Thomas? Oh, yeah, I read about doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas. I got so sick and tired of hearing about doubting Thomas. <laughs> One of my favorite apostles is Thomas. Do, do you remember the story how he got his undesirable nickname? John tells us that on the day of the Lord's resurrection, that Thomas was not with the rest of the disciples that evening in the upper room where they had gathered, and Jesus appears to them. And, and the others, which would be ten at this point in time, because Judas has by this time uh, gone out and hung himself, so Thomas is missing. So you've got the ten apostles in the room, and Jesus appears, and they come to Thomas the next day. They say, Thomas, you won't believe it. This is the best thing in the world. The Lord is alive. We've seen him. Thomas said, I, I just can't believe that. Now, now, folks, stop and think here for a second. These are the guys he has spent the last three years with, men who were closer to him than a band of brothers. These are the men that Thomas would die with. He said as much in John chapter 11. These are the men that he would trust with the lives of his family. These were the men that he knew better than any other men because they had studied together, they had walked together, they had eaten together. They had been together with the master. And over a period of time, he knew them 
like no other. And, and these are the guys that were convinced beyond doubt. Their sincere conviction and testimony was they had seen Jesus alive. Come on, Thomas. We got, you got 10 of us telling you what we've seen. And Thomas said, I cannot, I will not believe until I can touch the scars in his hands and the spear hole in his side. Can you relate? I think Thomas got a raw deal for being honest. Now, it's true, he was confused by some of his doubts, but he was also honest in his doubts. I love the fact that this story is in the Scripture. You see, wouldn't it be awful if, if there were no stories about doubters in the Bible? Then we would think that God couldn't handle me if I had doubts. Now, if you'll permit me, I'm, I want to go down a rabbit trail here for just a moment in this story of Thomas. In the first place, Thomas never should have separated himself from the fellowship of the rest of the apostles. Okay, granted, sometimes the best thing you can do is spend some time alone. Sometime it is the worst. I suspect Thomas was so deeply hurt by the Lord's death and the subsequent questions that flooded his mind like, what have I been doing for the last three years, spending my time with Jesus if he isn't the Lord, if he died on a cross? You see, sometimes we like to pull away and lick our wounds. And there's a time for licking our wounds. But not when it comes to doubt. Don't walk with your doubts alone. They don't make very good company. Unanswered doubts, well, they're just difficult to live with. I've discovered that when I have others to talk to, it helps me sort things out. Do you know what I mean? Uh, limited to my mind, doubts and questions and frustrations and concerns like, can grow like monsters that consume good reasoning. That's why the church matters. That's why I think God gave us this body of believers because he knew that we would have a difficult time getting through this world without others to come alongside of us. As a matter of fact, that's why I think our life groups are so important because you can get so much more intimate in discussions with life groups so if you're not in a life group, let me encourage you again, right here at the beginning of this new year, get involved in a life group. And if you have more doubts than, than, than you're comfortable with, may I suggest you get into one of our spiritual discovery groups. Now, now John Tweedy, one of the men in our congregation for whom I have the highest admiration for his journey, uh, coming out of unbelief through a period of doubt into his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. going to be out in the foyer this morning. If you want to talk to John, he'll help put you into a spiritual discovery group or develop one around you because this is a great opportunity for you to just ask the questions you want to ask without fear that somebody's going to, well, look down their nose at you for that kind of a question. You see, because Thomas was not with his closest friends on that most important evening, he spent an entire week in a state of confusion, fearfulness, heartbreak, and doubting. And he could have avoided this whole doubting Thomas thing if he had been where he should have been with his friends through this time. Okay, so while I'm down this rabbit trail, let me make another observation, will you? The other guys, the other ten, I love this, never gave up on Thomas. Can, can, can't you just hear Bartholomew say, well, of all the nerve, Thomas, I've never lied to you before, and I'm certainly not going to start lying now. If you don't believe me, then see if I sit beside you the next time we eat in the upper room. 
Nobody says anything like this. That's what we probably would have done, but it wasn't what the other ten said. I love the fact that these men were stronger than Thomas's doubts. We cannot reduce ourselves to snarky comments or petty feelings when it comes to honest doubts. God didn't give up on us. We cannot give up on others. We, folks, are the people of second chances. So when somebody expresses doubts, remember they are being incredibly vulnerable, just like Thomas. They don't need to hear us gasp and say, oh, I can't believe you feel that way. What they need to hear us say is, I understand. How can I help and encourage? Because you see, that's a safe environment. And God wants us to create a safe environment for people who are struggling with their questions and doubts. Okay, back to the story. The first book of opinions tells us that Jesus confronted Thomas and scolded him for his lack of faith. <laughs> you see, our opinion is that's what Jesus should have done. But our opinion isn't what happened, and I'm so grateful. I've often asked myself the question, what if I had been that Thomas? And these guys told me what they saw. Would I have believed and i got to be honest with you, I'm not sure I would have. If you know what crucifixion does to a person, the thought of anybody coming back to life after something like that, why, to believe the unbelievable? I'm not sure I would have been any different than this Thomas. So how's the story end? Well, John records it in chapter 20 like this. A week later... His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Did you see the first thing? There's no scolding. There's no condemnation from Jesus. Jesus just looks at Thomas and said, Thomas, come here. Touch my hands. Put your hand right here in my side. Now, the Bible doesn't say that Thomas did that. He had said originally, until I do that. But there wasn't any need to do that. What he saw, what he experienced in that moment convinced him beyond all shadow of a doubt. And his response is, for me, the greatest confession of faith in all of Scripture. Thomas said, my Lord and my God, as he fell to his knees. Aren't you glad that story is included? You see, if Thomas wasn't there, I'm afraid we might just assume that doubt is a sin. But among those closest to Jesus, among his chosen 12, comes the story of doubt that brings us hope. Jesus knows it's hard to believe. I mean, we're asked to believe what, from a natural standpoint of view, is simply unbelievable. And that's why the Thomas Files ends this way in John chapter 20, verse 29. Then Jesus told him, that's Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's us. Jesus said there's a blessing for those who can take what seems to be unbelievable and yet follow and believe. Well, a third misconception is this. Doubt is always unhealthy. Actually, doubt can produce positive results 
in our lives. In other words, there really is an upside to doubt. When we're dealing with our doubts, questions, and concerns, we generally seek God's answers. We come out on the other side of doubt stronger than ever. Early in his own faith walk, author Lee Strobel was stumped by some of the tough questions that came from his friends. <laughs> to one guy, he asked him a real tough question. This is how Lee responded. He said, I can't answer all your questions, but I don't think that after 2,000 years, you've come up with an issue that will finally destroy the foundation of Christianity. I'm confident there are answers. Let me do some research and get back to you. And he did. And you can too. Don't panic if somebody comes up and asks you a question you can't answer. Just say, I don't know. But, but let's see if we can figure out an answer together. Because when you do that, both of you will grow. Just keep seeking the answers. Don't settle for the doubts. Okay, here's the second question. We, that's what doubt is or isn't. But what is it that causes doubts? Well, one cause of doubts is the intellectual uh, operation here. It's where we begin to wonder whether things like heaven or hell, Satan and angels, miracles, the Bible is God's word, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is that really a rational belief? I mean, can I intellectually deal with these things? When somebody says to you, you don't believe in the Bible, do you? Really? Everybody knows it's full of myths and inconsistencies, and then they will quote for you some inconsistency that may catch you off guard. For instance, they may come at you with this one. 1 Samuel 17.50 says that David killed Goliath. 2 Samuel 21.19 says Elhanan killed Goliath. Which one is right? Now, probably at this point in time, you're feeling uncomfortable, you're a little bit embarrassed, and you're thinking to yourself, I've never heard that second story before. I've never heard about Elhanan killing Goliath. I am between a rock and a hard place here, and we panic. Now, here's what, here's what you need to remember. When, when we study the scriptures, there are some tough places. There are hard things to understand or explain, but there are a lot of things that, that really have a pretty decent explanation. Now, now I'm going I'm to deal with this Goliath thing with another, with another statement to you. Okay, you ready for this? I've read where Abraham Lincoln was killed by a member of the Shawnee tribe. And in the very same source, I also read that Abraham Lincoln was killed by John Wilkes Booth. Which one is right? Well, they, they both are. You say, you mean John Wilkes Booth was an Indian? No, that's not what I said. But the story is right. Abraham Lincoln was killed by a member of the Shawnee tribe, and Abraham Lincoln was killed by John Wilkes Booth. One was grandfather, the other was grandson. Did you know Abraham Lincoln, who was named after his grandfather, that his grandfather was killed by a member of the Shawnee tribe? You see, suddenly it's, oh, oh, yeah. Well, that makes perfect sense. Do you realize that in 1 Samuel, David is a young man when Goliath is killed? And in the 2 Samuel reference, David is an old man by this time when it happens. What's the answer? Well, the newer Goliath may have been named after the champion of the Philistines, the old Goliath. Or it might just have been that they shared a same name. Can I see the hands of everybody in this room who has the name John? Really? Are you all related? Were you named after one another? Or is it just possible that John is a common name, a beloved name, and that 
whoever named you just like the name. Is it possible that Goliath was just a popular name? And, well, you got a champion named Goliath, and so let's name our kid after a champion. You see, there are often good explanations. Doubt can also develop when we don't know why we believe what we believe. When asked why we believe, if we don't have an answer, then it begins to create doubt. Doubt can also arise when you believe that God has promised to answer all your prayers in the way that you want them answered. And so when God doesn't answer your prayer as you ask it, you begin to doubt. Doubts come if you believe that God says, I'm going to make you healthy and wealthy. And then when you end up sick and in financial struggles, you think there is no God. I have doubts. But here's the problem. You've got to know what God promises and what God doesn't promise. God said, I promise I will hear your prayers. He never promised that he would answer them exactly like you wanted them answered. And by the way, may I remind you that no is an answer. And, and, and God nowhere in the scriptures promised to make Christians, followers of his, healthy and wealthy. So if that's what you think, and then you get discouraged because you aren't either one of those, understand what God has promised. Because if you don't, it's going to create doubts. And then doubt is an emotional issue as well as the intellectual. If your faith is built on feelings, doubts arise quickly when you get discouraged or frustrated. Have you ever had one of those spiritual moments that you just, oh boy, it doesn't get any better than this. And then you start to expect that every spiritual moment, every worship service, every time you read through the scriptures, you want to get that same feeling. And when you don't, what's it do? Gives you doubts. There's an old song. Old hymn that goes, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. You may, you may rem remember that old hymn. Can I tell you something? Not so. Every day is not sweeter than the day before. There are some days I'd just soon forget. How about you? Now, I'm not, that's not a dispersion on the Lord. That's, a, that's, just a, that's just the way life is. Every day is not sweeter. And so if, if everything is based on my emotions with Jesus Christ. If my doubts arise because I'm not emotionally where I feel like I need to be, then I'm going to have doubts. Folks who have endured parental abuse in their childhoods often struggle with the fatherhood concept of God. That's not a pleasant picture, but that's an emotional issue and an emotional reaction, not, not the truth. Doubt, thirdly, grows out of a willful decision. When we choose to remain in a pattern of sin, when we choose to do something that we know the Bible says is not right, it creates doubt. Here, here's how we work that. You see, if I can pretend there is no God, then I don't have to feel guilty if I've done something against his word. So, in order to deal with my guilt, because I don't want to give up doing what I kind of like doing, that the Bible says is going to harm me in the long run, I'll just pretend there is no God. Then I don't have to deal with the guilt. By the way, that doesn't work either. But we delude ourselves into thinking so. And so the doubt comes because we are too willful in some of our choices. All right, here, here's last thing this morning. How can we grow through doubt? Well, in your bulletin, there is an acrostic this morning that uses the word faith. And that may help you go through this. That's, that's a good way to remember. But, but just let me highlight a few of the things here first. First, you need to identify exactly what's triggering your doubt. Where, where is your doubt coming from? The, the questions you struggle with may not be the same ones that I struggle with or may not be the same ones that your best friend struggles with. So, so figure out what it is that's triggering it. I want a physician who diagnoses the problem before he or she orders surgery, don't you? Well, before you know where to cut, you better know what's triggering your doubts. I would suggest you write them down. 
Now, you can, you can take your tablet and you can type them in or, or that type of thing. I think it's better if you see it in your own handwriting. Get it out of your mind onto paper so that you can look logically at your doubts and say, okay, my doubts are here, 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 here. Here are my questions. Because when you start to look at them that way, I, I think it just makes it easier to deal with. And once you've identified the root cause, then ask for help. I think you ought to start asking God. Say, I don't even believe in God. He knows that. Just admit that to him. I'm not even sure you exist, God. But if you are real, would you help me with these doubts? I mean, what do you got to lose? And ask other trusted people around you. Now, what do I mean by trusted people? I mean, don't base your search on an unbeliever who has an ax to grind against God or the church. You're probably not going to get honest responses from that person. By the same token, don't, don't hook up with a shallow Christian who believes just because mom and dad believed and grandpa and grandma believed, but I'm not sure exactly why I believe and can't verbalize it because you're going to get shallow answers there and perhaps not even honest answers. Christians, be open to where people are spiritually. Do not be offended by their questions or their doubts. Walk with them. Help them. Encourage them. Because I'm here to tell you, when you walk with somebody who's dealing with doubts, you're going to learn a lot, and hopefully they will learn a lot in the process. And when you are seeking out those trusted people, look for those who understand where your doubts originate from. If your doubts are intellectual, don't hook up with somebody who's emotionally a roller coaster, okay? You're probably not going to connect well. And if you're, if you're dealing with some kind of a, um, a behavior in your life that you know that God isn't really in favor of, find somebody who's been through one of those struggles because they will understand you and you can learn through them as well. Jesus promised in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and following, he said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now again, people, this is not a magic formula. This isn't rubbing the lamp so that the genie pops out. Because I'm here to tell you, if you lose a loved one to a tragic accident or to an inexplicable disease, and you say, why did this happen? You aren't going to get an answer for that in this life. Trust me. After more than six decades of life in this world, I've got a lot of questions for which there are no answers in this life. I believe someday, in the presence of God, I'll get some of those answers. But don't expect them right now. But here's the point. If you don't ask, if you don't seek, if you don't knock... You aren't going to get any answers. And the answers you may think you get could be all wrong. Perhaps you'll identify your struggle as more emotional in nature. By the way, can, can I say this? That if, if you've got some emotional struggles and you look around and you think, I don't think anybody else has the same kind of struggles that I have, might be a good idea to see a Christian counselor. Maybe something that a trained therapist can help unlock inside of you that will open the door for greater understanding. And take your time in your search. Be patient. Don't give up easily when you're working through your doubts. As they say, Rome wasn't built in a day, and your doubts won't go away in a short period of time either. So be patient. I would suggest you spend time reading the Bible. Now, true, it will create questions, but it will also answer some questions. Study other quality books. I can't tell you how much Lee Strobel's writings and Mark Middleberg's writings have helped me understand my faith. And there's a lot of other great writers out there. Take time to read some other books. Spend time with trusted friends who will walk along with you down this road without judging your doubts and be genuinely caring about your faith journey. Don't be silent. Ask, seek, knock. And please remember this. You will not get 100% of the answers you seek in life. 
You just won't. John Tweedy, who I mentioned a few minutes ago, shared this with me not too long ago. He said, you will never be able to answer all the questions you have to the satisfaction you would prefer. And yes, it will take some amount of faith to make that final step. But when it is taking more faith to continue to be a non-believer, then it's probably time. Great words of wisdom. Let me return to Thomas to wind up, okay? According to tradition and church history, Thomas went to India to spread the gospel. Do you know how he died, by the way? According to church history and tradition? We understand that Thomas was on his knees in prayer when the enemies of the gospel took a lance and ran it through his body. In India today, there is a monument and supposed to be his grave as they have honored this man who brought the good news to the nation of India. Now, I'm not sure what you call that, but I call that the ultimate act of devotion. You see, honest doubts didn't destroy Thomas. They paved the way for him to become a life-changing force. And I'm here to tell you, honest doubts won't destroy you. They may just lead you down the path to become an awesome force for God. I'll be down here this morning if you've got questions about what you want to do about your faith in Jesus Christ. I don't want you to make a quick and hasty decision. I want you to think it through so that when you say, I believe that he's my Lord and my God, that it is with all your heart that you can do so. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.